The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Hello, sunshine, and welcome to She Was the Fire. It's time to stop dancing in the dark. Let's start your fire and ignite your spark. Welcome to episode six, and it's basically like... I guess, part two of last week's episode. So today I'll be getting into the nitty gritty of weight loss surgery. Everything from the process of finding the surgeon through to like what I eat now. Um, But before I get into today's episode, again, I just want to do another disclaimer to say that anything that I'm saying today is simply me sharing my personal story and it's not me making suggestions, recommendations. I'm not advocating for anything. Anyone who is on their own health and fitness journey should speak to professionals and do your own research because what is right for me can be very different for what is right for you and everybody's body reacts differently. So before we kick off, what have I been up to this week? So firstly, we had some new starters start. So I talked about the last couple of weeks doing all that training with the new people at my work and they have finally started. It's very um, busy upstairs where we all work, new faces, new perspectives. It's just great to have new stuff because you get like a fresh outlook from someone who's basically like an outsider when all of us have been working on these projects and these clients for so long. Someone can come in with all these new ideas so it just really brings in a new vibe to the place, which is really exciting. And uh, of course, I released the first part of this weight loss series. And I've discussed on my Insta story that I was very nervous. And I did talk about it in the podcast last week to talk about my weight loss surgery. But now that it's out there, it does feel like a literal weight off my shoulders, pun intended. And I was, it was funny because I was saying like, oh, I'm nervous. And some people were like, why? It's like, because like, It's a lot. I just said like 30 times in one sentence because it's a lot to share something so openly about yourself that can, you know, be perceived in by some in a negative way and could impact the way that people see me and see me differently. And obviously if that's how people choose to, you know, see what I've done, then obviously that's their choice and they're probably not the right people for me anyway. But, you know, it is it is hard to open yourself up to something that really is a taboo subject. I had a lot of people, surprisingly, sliding into my DM saying that they've also had the surgery and haven't told people. Um, And so it really highlighted to me that there are a lot of people who have had this surgery and are not discussing it. And there was even more people that were interested to know specifics because they've wanted to do it too. But then they've also been scared to pull the trigger because they're worried about what people might think. And it just is so upsetting to me to think that people, and even I did this, that people wouldn't do what's right for them, what's right for their body and what could you know, have a huge positive impact on their lives because of what some strangers might think or some sour, jealous family members, you know, it's like not everybody can understand how difficult, you know, obesity is unless you've experienced it. And so to live your life by someone else's judgment is just heartbreaking to me. And so I'm so glad that I was able to get over that hurdle for myself. And, you know, if there's anybody else else out there who's listening to this, um, I hope that you can also, I'm not sure, like I just hope that this helps you in some way feel freer to make any choice that you want for your life. And that is something that I do want for this podcast because it's something that I do on a 
you know, daily basis. It's like I always, you know, I feel myself being like, oh, no, what will people think all the time? And then you have to be like, no, no, what do I think? That's what's important. And so I just hope that this podcast can help other people have that correction in their brain too, where instead of worrying about what other people think of your life, you're just worrying about what you think of your life. Anyway, so I just wanted to also just say like, wow, thank you so much for the response. As I said, I was very nervous and I never really expected to get any hate and I didn't get any hate. That wasn't what I was expecting. I was not even concerned about that. It was the people who quietly just unfollowed me because they didn't trust me anymore. That was more what I was concerned about. And I guess I'll never know if that happened because I gained a bunch of followers that day as well. So I know I won't know if you left or you came or whatever, but if you're new here, welcome. <laughs> and thanks for joining us. Uh, it's felt really good to like get it out there finally. It felt good to have you know, a really positive response and to know that maybe I had a positive impact on other people that were listening, even other people who had said like, look, that's not my journey, but it did help me like think about my own weight loss. And I really did feel seen because I feel the same way. Like I just feel like I'm on a merry-go-round. And so that, that was really nice as well. All right, let's kick it off. Today's fire starter is My Way by Calvin Harris. You know, the, you know, my way. My way. That was good singing, right? Especially with this cold. And the lyrics of that one, you were the one thing in my way. Why wait to say, at least I did it my way. And that, of course, really rings true for this episode. It was a, you know, he wrote it about, I think, Taylor Swift. So the um, the rumor mill goes. Either way, it's probably about a relationship. But for me, it's my relationship with food and my weight. That was, I really felt like the one thing in my way. And so why wait to say that I did it my way? So that's why I thought that was a really good song for this episode. All right, let's ignite today's topic. We're getting into the nitty gritty of weight loss surgery. I did ask for a few questions. There were a lot of very similar questions and some of it I will already be touching on when I kind of go through this story, but I'll also do some sort of Q&A at the end as well. So if you haven't listened to part one, obviously you need to go do that first because it gives everything more context. But I did say that I have had weight loss surgery in the first episode. So that's what we're getting into. So once I had decided basically to get the surgery, that's what I'm going to talk about now, what happened then. And what I did was a lot of research. I joined a whole heap of Facebook groups who talked about weight loss surgery in Australia because there were some that I looked at online that were in England, that were in America, and the medical practices and the rules and guidelines over there are very different. So very quickly I realized I've just got to make sure I'm following an Australian Facebook site to just make sure that if you are whatever country you're doing this in, it's better to get your, um, you, it's better to be part of a community that's in the same place as you because sometimes rules and guidelines can be different and they can vary from different countries. For example, one of the British ones I was on talked a lot about getting lap band surgery, whereas in Australia now, lap band is not really seen as an acceptable form of weight loss surgery. It comes with a lot of risks and it has over time had um, a negative impact. And so they don't really give that surgery very much in Australia anymore. So I found that pretty quick to that you have to follow somewhere that's specific to your town. So from those Facebook groups, I started to see different trends. I sort of tried to look for things that were pros and cons that were people were talking about with weight loss surgery. Um, and I went through a lot of older posts on those forums. And then I started writing down some really key questions, sort of things that I perceived as like key 
cons to this whole thing, like some of the risks that were involved. So some of the things for me were like, what are the risks? Um, does it work long-term? What are the long-term risks? Is it reversible? How will it impact my irritable bowel syndrome? There was a lot of talk of hair loss. I wanted to find out about that. And then there was also a lot of chat about not being able to drink water after the surgery. People still to this day, years after the surgery, can't consume water. And that was a really big deal to me, like a really big deal. Water is a big part of my life. And as I said, I have IBS and I can't drink sugary drinks. So when they add that like fake sugar stuff to like Diet Coke and sugar-free cordial, that kind of stuff, whenever they put that in, that actually makes me quite sick. It's like a really bad trigger for my IBS. So I knew that if I was going to be going on this health journey and I can't drink sugar-free cordials and soft drinks, um, you know, like, which is what a lot of people do in the forums. Like if I can't drink those and I can't drink water, wh- what do I do then? So then I met with a friend that I knew had also had the surgery and asked her a bunch of questions and asked for their firsthand experience. And then I also posed some questions in the forums. I found the forums to be really, really insightful, but I also wanted to make sure I was taking everything with a grain of salt because they're not medical professionals and it's great to get firsthand experience, but it's also important to make sure that you're getting advice from a medical professional and not from a bunch of strangers online. So it was good to sort of form ideas and questions that I could then pose to my doctor. Um, So basically I started doing some research into good surgeons in Queensland. I know a lot of doctors. So I reached out, reached out and asked a lot of doctors who they recommended and this particular name kept coming up. Look, I don't want to go into the surgeon that I used. I'm happy to discuss it. If you want to slide into my DMs and ask me about the surgeon's name, I will do that, but I don't want to like get into a whole public thing. Um, And so I ended up going with a surgeon who had a very good reputation based here on the Gold Coast. And so then I booked in with them. They were pro- I have private healthcare, thankfully. I'm lucky enough to have private healthcare. And so I booked in with him. And then I just sort of laid out all of the things that I perceived as pros and cons and asked lots of different questions. And that first initial meeting is kind of understanding whether I wanted to go with what I could see the options are, the gastric sleeve, the lap band, which I said no one really does anymore. So that was pretty quickly ruled out. And then the mini gastric gastric bypass. Now I will say I'm not a professional on what each of those means. So I'm not going to get into definitions. There's plenty of stuff on Google if you want to go look that up. Um, But it was important for me to understand like the differences and talk to the doctor about what he thought was best for me. And basically from my understanding is that the sleeve is the more commonly used one. It's like 60, 40%, I think. Um, It's not as invasive and it's not as drastic uh, to your system. So with the surgery, um, with the gastric, mini gastric bypass, people can have issues with their vitamin levels because they're not able to get the full nutrients that they need through their food because it actually kind of rewires your system. I'll get into that a little bit. Um, And the other thing with the sleeve is it's not reversible, but the gastric bypass is reversible. So A lot of people in the forums said also that they were going from sleeve to bypass. There seemed to be a lot of people who were like essentially like gaming the sleeve, like you could end up gaining weight again from it and then they would have to go to the bypass. Um, And I will say it's important to note that not everybody qualifies for both of those surgeries. So it really is up to you and your doctor. Um, And I basically asked the doctor a bunch of things and he kind of, I guess, essentially recommended the sleeve to me. But then when I sort of posed all of the concerns that I had, and one of them was reversibility. Now, I know that seems silly because it's like, well, why would you do something so drastic just to then change it? 
But my concern was that with someone with irritable bowel syndrome, these surgeries can either improve it or drastically make your IBS worse. And I did not want to have a life where my irritable bowel syndrome was worse. So I just thought to myself, I want to have the option in case anything does go wrong to reverse this. Also, you know, down the track in years to come, there's, you know, lots of, for instance, the lap bands, there's been lots of big issues that people have had with that medically. And People had to go from the bands to the sleeve or from the bands to the bypass because they've had so many dramas with it. So I just, I felt that reversibility was a big deal to me and it was kind of a real sticking point. And my doctor said, well, if that's like, what's the important thing for you, then I recommend the bypass. And I actually said to him, well, Sam actually said to him, cause I took Sam with me to make sure I was asking all the right questions. You know, when you're single, you got to take family members, guys. Um, and he said, like, if you were giving it to your family members or you were getting it, which one would you get? And he said, look, the the gastric bypass, the mini gastric bypass is like the gold standard. And since a lot of people go from the sleeve to the bypass, I didn't want to have to go through the whole thing, do it twice. I just wanted to get that one. It was reversible if anything went majorly wrong. And that's where I went. And also the, the sleeve is a bit cheaper than the gastric bypass, the mini gastric bypass. So that's why I think sometimes it can be a little bit more popular as well. So I did choose to get mini gastric bypass, which is, here's a definition. It's an effective and well-established procedure which combines some of the properties of gastric sleeve and the standard gastric bypass. The stomach is divided into the upper and lower pouches and the small intestine is rerouted. So basically what it means is they chop up my stomach. This is what I'm gathering anyway. <laughs> they chop up my stomach and then they seal it. So I still just have that other part of my stomach sitting in my system, but it's no longer connected, like a, not connected, but like it's no longer part of my, it's just hanging out there, just floating in my organs area, whatever, you know what I mean? And then they take some of the cords that are attached to that part of the stomach and reroute them. So I actually don't consume as many calories as well. It sort of bypasses one of the systems that it goes. It's very technical and I don't understand, to be honest, like the doctor explained the whole thing to me. Um, but basically the way that they reroute your system, you're consuming less calories because it goes through like different tubes and things, you know, <laughs> none of us know, but you can Google it. Okay. So basically from there, you decide what surgery you want. And that was really hard for me. I had to really like toss and turn about which surgery to get because I had both options available to me. Not everybody has that. And so I looked on the forums and looked at the pros and cons and looked at long-term what different people had said the pros and cons were of each of the options that I had. And ultimately reversibility was like a real sticking point for me. I was just so worried about my IBS. This is a huge lifestyle change. And, um, you know, if my IBS was really triggered by this down the track, like I would be screwed. Living with IBS worse than what I had prior, and it was pretty bad, would be like unbearable. So that was really important to me. And then also, you know, like I always thought like this is a huge lifestyle change that I'm making for the rest of my life. Like this is a massive commitment. I'm choosing to have issues with food where I have to think about every single thing I'm doing with food moving forward for the rest of my life. Like what about if science like evolves in the next few years and there's like a better way to do this that's not so invasive or like what if like this is silly but like what if there's like a magic pill in five years and I can reverse this and not have to go through all of the the ups and downs of weight loss surgery. So as I said reversibility is 
what it came down to for me. So I went with the mini gastric bypass. I will say though that there is a higher risk involved with a mini gastric bypass because you are under. The surgery does take a little bit longer. It's not a huge difference, but it it is a difference. I think it's a few percentage difference of the risk factors. So from there, um, you get weighed, obviously. They take all your measurements. You speak with nurses, GPs, dietitians, all at the same clinic. They put you through a whole bunch of people to speak to. And I think that what they were trying to do then was basically decide whether I was fit mentally to have this. I have seen on the forums that lots of people actually have to go through like a psychologist evaluation psychoval, I guess maybe. I don't know what it's called technically, but a lot of people have do get turned down because they're not in the right mental space to be able to do this. And so they would like ask me questions that I felt like they were trying to determine where I was at. So it was things like, you know, why do you want this surgery? What impact do you think it's going to have on your life? Like what are your long-term plans with this surgery? And um, so I don't know if it's like where I was because it was private, they don't do that and the public system require you to um, or if it was just because I answered the questions in the way that they were comfortable with with my initial consultations um, that they felt that I didn't need to take that extra step. And it's really important because the mental side of this is something people just do not think about and you just don't consider it. And thankfully I was in a really good mental place um, about the rest of my life to do with not just my weight. And I think that if you're having this surgery because you think it's going to fix your life, you're going to get a rude awakening because what you weigh doesn't fix your bad marriage, the fact that you hate your job, you know, the fact that you have a bad relationship with your kids, whatever it is, whatever that sticking point in your life is that's really making you unhappy, your weight might be contributing to that, but ultimately it doesn't make your husband love you anymore just because you're skinnier. That's not, that's not the be all and end all. And if that's what you're thinking, that's not going to fix this. And I see it all the time on the forums. People get this surgery because their marriage is on the rocks and then they still end up divorced because it's not about your appearance, about it's about your mental, um, your, your mental health and your mindset. And so you're still, even if you're skinny or you're overweight, whatever you are, you're going to hate your boss still the same. It doesn't matter what your weight is. You know, if you've got a terrible relationship with your kids or if you've got a gambling problem, all of these things are still going to be there tomorrow when you wake up thinner. So if you're not in a really strong mental place, I don't think this surgery is for you and you probably need to do some more mental health work before you make this kind of a commitment because this is a massive mental game. So I guess when they were asking me what my personal reasons were and why maybe I didn't need further evaluation was because mine were more like a vanity thing, I guess. Um, You know, I'm a single person with a disposable income and all I could do was really shop at Kmart because that was all that was really available size-wise to me. And what I really wanted was to be able to walk into any store and purchase on-trend clothes. You know, I want to – it's not like – obviously I have – money so I can walk into those designer places if I want to, but it's more like I want to be able to walk into H&M and I want to be able to walk into Zara and buy the clothes that I want and like look trendy and feel confident when I go to events and stuff like that and I'm photographed, I wanted to feel more confident. And I also, you know, like the fashion labels don't cater to plus size women as much as they like some of the labels go up a few. Like it's always online. You can't walk into a store and try it on like a normal person or it's in like the back corner addict with the leaky fucking air con dripping down. It's like this rack is for you. It's like great. Like, you know, it makes you feel so uncomfortable. And I just wanted to be like 
normal with fashion and I all of my friends are so trendy and I just I just want to be able to wear the things that are on trend that aren't available in my size. You know if you're overweight that the freaking fashion industry does not cater for curvy girls. And so that was one of my things. I'm like, I just want to be able to like feel more confident in the way that I look. But I never said anything about like, I was never unhappy with my life, about my job. It wasn't about my relationships with people. It was none of that stuff. And like, even now that I'm single, sorry, that I'm thinner, the single thing is still not like people are like, oh, you're going to get out there now. It's like, yeah, sure. I wasn't huge on like getting naked when I was overweight because I was uncomfortable. But still now it's like, I'm just a relationship is just really not on my radar. So it wasn't ever about any of those things for me. And so I can see that if I had answered that it was about changing my whole life and I was still quite a confident person. I was confident in a different way, but I was still like really confident in my abilities at work. I would still, you know, go to meetings and be confident in myself, confident in my personality, all that kind of stuff. Um, It was just the weight thing that I had issues with. And I did feel uncomfortable sometimes when people would look at me and yeah, it was more, more about that for me. So I'm not really sure exactly how to put it into words, but from what I can see on the forums is there's a lot of people who put a lot of, sorry for the pun, a lot of weight in this surgery for it to completely change their life. And yeah, it does completely change your life in the way that you consume food, but it's not going to fix your mental and you're like, you know, it's not going to fix your emotional problems that aren't actually anything to do with the weight. And that is the concern that you actually need to address all of that stuff before you get this surgery. I was lucky enough to not have any mental health issues and to the only thing be like, I want to be able to get dressed up and feel comfortable in my body. And that was really all that it was for me. Um, so thankfully I had private healthcare, as I said, and so the surgery, which is a question a lot of people have asked, ended up costing me about 6000 to $8,000. I will say, though, about a month after I had the surgery, um, my healthcare system changed and they now no longer cover weight loss surgeries. Thank fucking God I got in just at the nick of time. But I think if you were to pay outright for the mini gastric bypass, it does cost about $30,000. So it's not cheap. But I will say a lot of people in the forums discuss how you can get your superannuation out if you can have your doctor say that, you know, your obesity is impacting your health, which for a lot of people it is, uh, you can actually access your super early to pay for it. So if that's something that you are interested in, I know that that's something that you can do. However, I obviously was private, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, and then I basically chose a date with the surgeon. So it was about making sure that it was a date that Sam was in the country because I'd have to be off work. Um, and yeah, it was just booking it in then. And so then two weeks before the surgery, what you have to do is go for two weeks on shakes, OptiFast shakes. You can't choose other ones. It's OptiFast. And that was fucking hell. My IBS did not like the shakes. Let me tell you a story. That was horrible, but I did lose eight kilos. Now, it's really important that you do the shakes because what happens is if you're an overweight person, you have a larger than life liver. So your liver is really big. And so when they cut you open to do the surgery, your liver actually gets in the way of your stomach. And so the surgeons can't actually perform the surgery safely. So what you have to do beforehand, and some, if you're, you know, if you were even more overweight than me, some people have to do it for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. I thankfully had to do it for two weeks prior so that it can 
decrease the size of my liver. So it wasn't even about losing weight. It was literally about shrinking the size of my liver. And I was scared straight, let me tell you, because there's no way to know if you shrunk your liver until they cut you open. And I was just like, I would have been mortified if I got all the way into the surgery, they cut me open and then said, nope, shut her up. She didn't do the diet. And so her liver's too big. And even though I did the diet, I was still terrified my liver was going to be too big because I knew I had a fatty liver and I was like, I don't know, does that mean that it's big? Is it fat? I don't know. So I was really scared about that. So a lot of people were like, even some people in my office were like, well, if you're already on these shakes and I think I lost like eight kilos, can't you just keep doing that and not get the surgery? And it's like, no, because when, if I don't have that level of embarrassment or death because they can't fucking do my stomach right and I've put myself at risk, then... I'm just going to keep eating badly and I'll be back on the merry-go-round. So I understand that it does seem like, well, if you can do the diet for two weeks, can't you just keep doing it without the surgery? But I know that I couldn't. I know I couldn't. So there's that. That's hell. And that's really hard because this weight loss surgery is a tool. And once you've had it, it does make eating certain things easier because you can't physically do it. But before the surgery, I could go and eat that KFC if I wanted. And there are people all over the forums that have, what do they call it? They call it a food a food funeral, I think. And they have like their last day and we all do it. Don't get me wrong. I did mine just before the two weeks started where your last day you're eating everything because you're like, this is my last chance to eat it. We all do it the day before our diets, you know, the day before, you know, on a Sunday, you're binge eating left, right and center before you start your diet Monday. We've all bloody done it. And so, but these people were doing it the day before their surgeries, like crazy. Um, and so anyway, I did that. I did it all right. I lost the weight. My, I had my skinny liver going on. So that was good. Uh, it did shrink enough. And then the surgery, I think it typically goes for two and a half hours. Mine went for about two hours. The surgeon was like, yes, the surgery went so well. It was so good. Um, and basically if you've never had surgery before, you go into the surgery and then when you come out, they put you in recovery, which is like basically when you watch Grey's Anatomy and it's like the room where all the beds are, like everyone's in the same room. It's like that emergency sort of area. And this is what they do in recovery. Everybody just goes into the same room. Everyone gets assigned like a nurse and you all just lay there and there could be like 20 different beds in there with people in there. And I had had surgery before because I'd had my initial melanoma taken out um, you remember it was three years ago. And so I'd been through that before. I'd also had a colonoscopy, which you also go through recovery. So I knew that I work really well under general anesthetic. I actually metabolize my, my metabolism actually, I, I don't know how to really, I don't know what the medical terms or anything are for it, but it filters through my system really fast to the point where I've actually woken up during surgery before. Yeah, that's when I had my last cancer cut out. I woke up um, about 10 minutes before the surgery ended. I, that's a, a story for another time though. Um, but yeah, so I actually get over general really quickly to the point where when I go to recovery, I'm like, all right, after 10 minutes, like, can we leave? And it's like, no, no, you have to stay here for a minimum of 30 minutes. And it's like, okay, but I feel fine. Whereas I look around me and there are people like half asleep because they're still so knocked up from the drugs. And I'm like, that's weird. So I knew I was going to respond really well. So I didn't have any concerns about that. I wake up in recovery and I feel like I'm dying. Turns out I'm allergic to morphine, which we didn't know until that very moment. And I spent four hours in recovery. Like usually you spend 30 minutes and I was there for four hours and they didn't tell my family why. So mum, they said like, oh, she'll be out in about 30 minutes. She's out of surgery. Mum's sitting in my hospital room. 
hours and hours go by and she's like, what's wrong? Where is she? And they're like, oh, no, we're sure it's fine. She's like, she's supposed to be 30 minutes and it's been three hours. I wouldn't even tell my mum what was wrong. But, yeah, I woke up just basically feeling like something is very wrong because I've woken up from surgery before and I knew how it felt. It felt fine. Obviously, I'm in a bit of pain. That's fine. Can handle gut pain. I have endometriosis and I have irritable bowel syndrome. Let me tell you, if there's a pain I can handle, it's gut pain. That was nothing. I am then dry reaching because I'm having such a bad reaction to the morphine. It is sending me into like a complete head spin. The nausea was insane. I've never felt nausea like this before. But because I've had stomach surgery and I'm now dry reaching and my stomach's like contracting, whatever, that's, let me tell you, that's that's another level of pain. <laughs> it's a different level. And I was just like, I, I, I don't really even know how to describe it, but it just felt like, I couldn't, I then couldn't also breathe. So it was, I I guess, similar to a panic attack. I've never had one before, but I couldn't get my breathing under control. And the nurses are looking at each other, like literally saying something's wrong. What's wrong? And they're like trying to check my vitals. Like, and I'm like, I know something's wrong. I'm dying. Oh my God. Like, obviously I knew I wasn't dying, but you're very scared. Like something is wrong here. And the nurses like finally figured out that I was obviously having a reaction to the morphine. So then they're trying to like counteract that with other drugs, get it out of my system. And then I'm saying to them, like, I need to go to the bathroom really bad. And they're like, no, you can't stand. You can't even do anything. Like you're so like in a bad way. And I'm like, my blood is going to burst. Oh my God, please help me. So then it was like a whole thing with the catheter. It was like a bloody nightmare. And it was like four hours of just like the most miserable I have ever been. And I was really scared. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, uh, I don't know. An allergic reaction to morphine is just not a fun time. Let me tell you that. Anyway, so they roll me to my room (laughs) and because my body has now gone through four hours of reacting really terribly to something, then there's like a, an impact after that where my body just doesn't seem to heal in the hospital for the, in the coming days, like it's supposed to. I can't seem to get the liquids in that I was supposed to. So everybody's like in around me is like kicking goals for how much liquid they're supposed to have. I could barely have any liquid. I couldn't get it in. It was just like, it made me feel so sick. It was coming back up. It was a nightmare. I was just really ill. I was supposed to be in the hospital for two days. Some people will even do it for one day. And I was in there for five days and I actually had to like trick the doctor into letting me out because I just knew that I wasn't getting better at the hospital. I knew that I needed to be at home having my own shower, controlling my own food. One of the most difficult things was that they just continued to give you chicken broth and they don't really give you anything else. You can't then choose to have your own soups, your own flavors and things. Anyway, so let's just say it was a really hard time in the hospital, okay? Um, and they they actually, they give you their specific food. So that's what's really hard. You can't then take any control over that. So I just knew if I got home, I could have more control. I was barely consuming any water. I wasn't consuming any of the like broth they were giving me. And then they also give you like custards and things like that, which I wasn't allowed to have. My dietician was saying to me like, no, you can't have any of that stuff with sugar, nothing with sugar. I was like, so I'm just having broth. But I ended up having so much broth that now even the smell of like two-minute noodles, anything like chicken broth related makes me want to vomit. And so I basically got home. I got more control of the soups and things that I was actually having, like flavors that I actually wanted. Um, And so it's basically one week of clear liquids after the surgery. 
Then you go to one week of normal liquids, then two weeks of puree, which actually for me was the worst part because you're so excited to finally get off liquids. But then you realize puree pretty quickly is fucking disgusting. And people on the forum is like, you can puree everything and you puree your, your mince and your mash and da da da. It's like Mexican dip. It's not good. It's so bad. I struggled so bad with that phase. And then it's two weeks of mash. So it's like a thicker, more dense version of the puree, which I did find to be better. So all up after the surgery, it's six weeks of not eating normal foods and you can't eat anything else because then you can risk splitting open your stitches in your stomach. So you have to be really careful. You also have to give yourself a needle every single night for about seven to 10 days. It just depends on who you know your surgeon is and you have to take now a bunch of different vitamins. So it was pretty miserable at home. The doctor told me that I'd probably only need a week off, but I ended up having to have two because I just didn't handle it well at all. My body did not recover well. And I was pretty mad about it because in every other circumstance, my body recovers so well to things. So I was mad at myself because I felt like my body had let me down. And I remember being in the hospital like on day four or something. And my mum was having to help me in the shower. And I just remember crying and saying to my mum, like, why is my body letting me down so much? There's like 80 year olds in the hospital that had had this surgery and they're out of here in two days. And I'm fucking 30, whatever age I was, 32, 31. 30, 32, I think, uh, and like can't like recover well. Like I couldn't keep down any of the medications. It was just a nightmare and I was just miserable. Mum was like, do you regret it? And I was like, no, I know it's going to get better. <laughs> I don't regret it. I know it has to get better. But it was the hardest thing for me. It was absolutely horrible. So basically all up, it's eight weeks of no food. So two weeks before and six weeks after the surgery. And to be honest, I hardly lost any weight in those six weeks. And I, I'm, I'm that fat person that gets on the scales every minute. You know, you don't need a burger. You're on the scales. Have I lost any weight yet? You know, like oh, I went one day of no diet. Have I lost any weight yet? I'm that person. So I was doing that every day and I wasn't losing any weight. But all of a sudden my mental position had changed. Whereas before the surgery, if I had jumped on and not lost any weight, I'd end up binge eating because I'd be so unhappy. I'd be like, it's not worth it. What's the point? You know, whereas this time I was like, Obviously, my body is having a very bad reaction. It's holding on to all the fat stores or something because it's like in shock. So that's why I'm not losing the weight. But I haven't eaten any food, so it has to come off eventually. So I got into this really actually healthy mindset. And it seemed like a lot of people on the forums, they actually get very disheartened if they don't lose weight pretty quickly and see it happen very quick. Whereas I had the opposite thing where I was like, Courtney, think like, not a scientist, but like think logically. If you're not putting calories in your body, you have to lose the weight. My body's just obviously storing those fats at the minute because it's like, what the fuck is this bitch doing, you know? So I got into a really good headspace with that, so that was good. Um, And then obviously now I just have regular checkups with my doctor. I have to get regular blood tests. I have to take regular vitamins all the time, says that whole bunch of stuff. But the main thing is that you then have to start learning to eat all over again. Now, I said before, but the truth is that this surgery is literally just a tool. And you can game it. If I just sat at home and ate small amounts of bad food but ate it consistently throughout the day, I wouldn't lose the weight. You know what I mean? Like if I just sat and ate French fries all day long slowly, you can still eat that food. You just can't eat it all in one sitting. So you still can do the wrong thing. Um, And you have to teach yourself all over again. So I started with like easy things. Like, you know, you're starting with mash and then – and start going to fish. But then when I tried beef, that got lodged. It wasn't good. You have to chew things like a lot more than you used to, like so much chewing to just get it down because it feels like almost like 
your esophagus is tighter, like it can't fit things in there. Um, and so some of those kinds of things were hard. I had to work my way up to steak. Um, and then the other really hard thing was I had to learn how to drink water again. And I'd said to my dietitian, I said to you, like, water is a big thing for me. And I said to the dietitian, can you tell me that we can fix this? And she said, look, I can't make any promises. A lot of people can't have water, but you can train yourself to do it. Let me tell you, after the surgery, all I wanted to do was have water because I was so parched, Um, but it was horrendous. I don't even know how to describe how water is, but it's like heavy. That's the only way that I can describe how water feels heavy. And I'd done all this research to learn about alkaline levels before the surgery. And apparently particular alkaline levels are a little bit easier to tolerate. So I'd gotten Fiji water, which was one of the best ones I could get my hands on. I do not like the taste of Fiji water, but apparently that was the easiest and most palatable. And if it was like icy cold, it was a little bit easier. So every day I would like have this water and just force myself, even though as bad as it was, like feeling for my body, I keep forcing myself water and water and water and water and water. And I see a lot of people have this surgery and they don't do that. And still to this day, they can't really drink water unless it's got like a bit of cordial or something in it. And I drink gallons of water now. Water is completely fine for me. It doesn't matter. Tap water is not great. And if it's um, room temperature water, that's a little heavier as well. But if it's like straight from the fridge, Mount Franklin, pump, whatever it is, um, any kind of filtered water, I'm sweet. Still water. I cannot have carbonated drinks anymore. It just makes me feel funny in the stomach. It's not bad necessarily, but I just don't really like the feeling. So I think I've had two sips of a lemonade in the past year. So carbonated drinks out the window. I also formed some lactose issues. So ice cream, custard, milk, are very bad triggers for um my system now. So I try to avoid those and have lactose free versions of milk. Sometimes I'll have ice cream, but it'll be a very minimal amount. Um, yeah. So no carbonated drinks. If I want to drink alcohol, I can get drunk like this. The minute I have a sip of alcohol, I can feel it, feel it in my body. And I used to be able to drink a lot before. It'd be really hard to get me drunk. Even though I'm not a big drinker, I could consume a lot of alcohol before I got drunk. And now it's like I'm anybody's after one drink. You know, it's not, it's not, so I very, I very rarely drink anyway. So it's not a big deal, but I usually can just have one cocktail and then I'm kind of done. And it's hard because also you have to reprogram the way that you eat and drink at the same time because you have limited amount of space in your stomach. If I drink a big cocktail, it's hard for me to then eat dinner at the same time because it takes up space. And there's like all these rules about you have to wait 30 minutes before you eat. So you've stopped drinking 30 minutes before you eat and you can't start drinking until 30 minutes after you eat. I don't really stick to those rules. I'm not a role model when it comes to this weight loss surgery. I'm bad at that. And I potentially could be stretching my stomach a little bit because I find it so hard not to have a sip of water. So I have like a little sip of water when I'm eating my food, which is bad. I don't advise that, but it works for me. So I'm fine with it. And then the other thing is because you can't get all these nutrients anymore, you can't eat like your full meal. You have to focus on protein. So everything that I would eat when I go to a restaurant is all I'm looking at is like, what is the protein that I can eat here? It's like, you want a pasta? No, those carbs are going to waste way too much space. That stir fry, those, that rice, that sushi? No, that's way too many carbs in that. That's going to take up all the space in my stomach. Rice will even expand more. I just need the meat. <laughs> so you start to really focus in on protein. Also, any high fatty food, oil kind of junk food and stuff, I don't want it anymore, which is the biggest change for me. 
I just like if you're like Maccas, I don't crave it like I used to. It changed my relationship with food in such a way that I cook basically every meal now, like which was good during ISO because it's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's all I wanted. Whereas if I had gone into ISO before this weight loss surgery, I would have just been having Uber Eats every single bloody meal. McDonald's, KFC, you name it, I'd be eating it. Whereas now I just have this craving for like good home cooking food. And it's not necessarily always healthy. Like I have a lot of pastas and things like that where it's mainly like a chicken pasta and I'll focus on the sauce and the chicken and a little bit of the pasta or I'll have a stir fry and I'll have just a small amount of the rice and mostly it'll be the veggies and the chicken or the beef or whatever. Um, But yeah, it's just about training your body again. Um, And also chocolate. I used to be like chocolate's number one fan and now I very rarely have chocolate. But I will say that my my fat brain buys chocolate. I have so much chocolate in my house. I buy chocolate like I'm still eating it every single day. I can't control myself at Woolworths. I'm like, oh, cherry ripe. Yes, please. Put that in my chocolate stash because I didn't eat it. Or I'll eat one bite of it and be like, oh, that's enough. I just don't really crave those sweet things like I used to. I have more of a craving for sweet and savory at the same time than I used to. So like popcorn that's sweet and savory at the same time. I really, really like that. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's just been a very big change to your taste buds. Certain things just taste a little bit different to what they used to. Things that were sweet taste so much sweeter to me now. So I just don't really want them. I don't really crave having like carbonated drinks like Coke. I never drank Coke before, but I like lemonade and Solo and things like that. Sprite, I never have that really anymore. I don't really feel like it. And I pretty much had a salad every night for dinner for months on end after that. So as much as it seems like it's like, oh, you just had the surgery and you lose the weight because you can only eat a small amount. It's like, well, actually, I really changed the food that I ate and I eat a lot healthier now. So even when, you know, I'm having pastas and things like that, that's not the healthiest, but I am still focusing more on the protein portion. But I'm making everything from scratch at home. And it's a lot healthier than if I was to order it in from Uber Eats, you know? So even though I'm still not making always the healthiest choice, it's still a lot healthier than it was. And that's the main thing. My diet is completely different to what it used to be. And I'll still order similar things. So I used to order steak and fries all the time when I go out for dinner. I still order it, but I hardly have any fries. I'll eat the steak. That's what I'll focus on. Or I'll eat some of the salad, whereas before I would never eat any of the salad, you know? So it's it's still similar, but also very different. This is just like a a tool and you have to like use it to the best of your ability. I'm definitely not the poster child for weight loss surgery. I don't do everything perfect. And, you know, they the dietitian wants you, if, tries to influence you heavily to go on keto after this surgery. Like they literally are like no carbs, no sugars, only have protein. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do that. As I've said on the previous podcast, keto makes my body very upset. It triggers my IBS. So I had to like really work with the um, the nurse and the doctors there to say like, can I still have some carbs? Because I was really confused because I was like, are you recommending I don't have carbs because I'm not allowed to have carbs now that my body has changed its structure? Is carbs in the first six months dangerous or is it just that you're trying to get me to lose weight quickly? And I ascertained pretty quick they were trying to get me to lose weight quickly. And I also am not the poster child for that because I didn't want to lose more than a kilo a week. I wanted to as healthily as I could. And I wanted to save my skin as much as I could because I knew that if I lost weight rapidly, that it wouldn't give my skin time to like re- 
regenerate and I end up with really saggy skin. So for me, I ended up losing a kilo a week apart from that very, no, actually even including that eight week, eight kilo loss at the very start, I still lost about a kilo a week to this point. So, um, and I stopped losing weight around like just before COVID, I think it was. So I've kind of leveled out now and I've lost 110% of my excess body fat. So my doctors tell me, and I lost a total of 45 kilos. So I started at 109 kilos. And yeah, that's basically what it's like. Can I, the meal sizes, let's talk about that. That was a question that I got a lot. And initially, yeah, the meal sizes were very small and some days are better than others. And you're kind of looking at like a, qu- a third of a cup or something initially you were eating. Now, if I go to a restaurant, I don't think anybody would notice that I'm eating less than them, unless they obviously knew. And I'll have like, you know, I'll go with my friends, we'll share an entree. So I might have one dim sim or something and then um, a little steamed dumpling or whatever, one chicken kebab, you know, from a Thai place, chicken satay. And then I'll just have a stir fry and I'll just sort of pick and eat the meats and stuff and maybe a bit of the meals and a bit of the vegetables. Um, and I'm probably eating, I would say, maybe half of what normal people are eating. So if you're eating a full steak, I'm probably eating half of the steak. And um, yeah, so it's not that different. Initially it was, I would only be able to have a few mouthfuls of the steak for the first few months. And it really was like, I could hardly eat anything at all, but the surgery changes your hunger hormones as well. I don't know the technical words for it, but it doesn't make you as hungry. Now I have my hunger stuff back just like normal. And I still have that fat brain. As I said, I'm ordering things the way I still used to order them and I'm buying things that were worse than I used to. And then it comes to my plate and I'd be like, yeah, I didn't want those fries. What was I thinking ordering those onion rings? Like I don't even bloody want those sides and I still do it all the time. This surgery is a big fuck with your head. It's a big mental game. That's the biggest thing. And I see so many people on the forums that are still depressed, still have anxiety and the weight loss didn't fix anything. And they've got a whole bunch of problems. They've got saggy skins. They're depressed about that. They can't go out and eat with their friends. They're depressed about that too. And then there's the people that are like hiding their surgery because they're ashamed. So then they're also depressed about that. There's so many other things that can happen with this surgery and it's such a mental game and it's probably the most difficult thing like other than like obviously you're going through all these changes but the mental side and that's probably the thing that I still struggle with. I now when I go to a restaurant I have to think more about what I'm ordering whereas you're just like ordering what you feel like. I can't do that. I need to make sure I'm focusing on protein you know and I also then need to think about like what I'm drinking. If the waiter comes up and pours a glass of water for the table, it's like, oh, was that filtered or was that tap water? Oh, sorry. No, it's tap water. Okay, cool. Can I, can I pay for still water? Oh, we only have sparkling water. That's carbonated. So I can't have that. So now all of a sudden I can't have a drink at all because a lot of bloody restaurants, which I never knew, don't have still water. Like what the fuck? Only tap water. So there's just all these things that you have to think about. And then, you know, it's like you also are supposed to focus on a certain amount of protein. I'm then also having to focus on certain amounts of fiber for my immunotherapy. It's like a whole bunch of stuff and it's a big mental game and you really need to be prepared when you go into something like this. So people that say this is easy, it is definitely not easy. It is one of the hardest things I've ever done and it is going to be something ongoing that I will always have to think about food differently from what you will if you haven't had the weight loss surgery. It is something that every time I cook a meal, I order food at a restaurant, I go to a friend's house and they're serving me food, I have to think about how that food is going to impact my body. 
and that's not something that you had to think about before. I mean, like obviously some people who are being healthy and stuff are always thinking about how things impact their body, but this is in a different way now. And so that's going to be a lifelong struggle. And I have actually been one of the lucky ones, the way that I can handle food. There are a lot of people who have far more struggles than me, people that have to get their gallbladder out because they, you know, if you lose rapid amount of weight, you can have issues with your gallbladder. So they have to get that removed. And I've been really lucky in the way that I've, one, had a strong mental game and two, I tried to do it as slowly as I could so that um, I was setting my body up to be a little bit healthier in the long run but not everybody is able to do that. Um, So yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Um, I'm just going to quickly have a look at some of the questions that you guys had just to see. I think I pretty much have answered them all, but I'm just going to quickly have a look. Um, Yeah. Questions about how it impacts your life now. So what do I eat in a day? Um, Say I have breakfast. You know, the guys that I like to have my morning bagel and I'll probably eat two thirds of a bagel and it will have avocado, and cream cheese on it. And that's that. That's breakfast. Then for lunch, I might have a kebab. I could have some stir fry. I could have leftover food from the night before. And I'll probably have like Sam eating kebab. I probably have one third of a kebab. Kebab is hard for me to get through. Um, if I'm if I'm having sushi, say I was having like a chicken teriyaki sushi roll, I wouldn't even be able to eat a whole roll because that's just too much rice. But if you put a steak in front of me, I can eat a lot more steak. So the protein sometimes is a bit easier to consume than the carbs because they don't expand in your system. So it's just about sort of being a bit strategic. And then I'll go home at night and I I usually have a salad with protein. That's usually what I have. And then I will have some sort of a snack, which is usually like some popcorn. I'm really into veggie chips at the minute, which are not healthy, but I'm eating those. But I can't, the thing with this is that I can't really overeat So for you, you might have dinner and then half an hour later you're on the snacks and you're having a block of chocolate and you're having chips. I can't do that because it will make me feel quite sick. And I know that there's a lot of people who get vomiting if food comes back up. That doesn't happen to me. I get the sweats and I get extreme nausea if I eat too much food and it takes like 15 to 20 minutes to hit you. So you don't even know that you've overeaten until it's too late. That's one of the troubles where I, I can mess up a lot of the time. It's like, oh shit, I overate and I didn't even realize. So you just are constantly monitoring what you're putting in your body. Like how much food was that that I just ate? How many chips were in that packet that I just got through? Because I'm going to pay for that in 20 minutes. Um, uh, what else have other people got? Have you heard, head followed your body's, has your head followed your body's journey? To some extent, yes. But as I said, in others, no. I still get mental cravings for things, even though I'm not physically craving that food. And then the minute I put it in my mouth, I know it's not what I wanted. Um, and so, yeah, that has been hard. And then um, skin. I've Some people have asked about skin. Because I said I tried to lose the weight slower than what a lot of people do. My skin hasn't been too bad. Also, I'm quite young. So that has made it a lot easier. So the skin on my arms is quite saggy. There's, I don't have the appearance of saggy skin, but if you were to grab it. So for example, if you see like um, influencers online, you know, for example, someone like Tammy Hembro, she looks like, wow, look at her body. Amazing. She has an amazing figure and she's had two kids. And she did an Insta story some time ago where she grabbed this the skin on her stomach and it was like quite loose, but you couldn't really see it until she grabbed the skin. That's a lot of what my skin is like. Like it appears to be tight, but actually when you're touching it, it's actually not quite as elastic as it seems to the, to the eye. 
So it's like that. Obviously, Tammy's is very different. She's had children um, and she's worked very hard for her body. So that's very different. You know, I do think there are some people in the weight loss community, weight loss surgery community that do lots of working out. And I think that you can regenerate some of your skin in that way. A lot of people wear a lot of like um, oils and things to help their skin bounce back better. So there are small things that you can do, but most people in this community, um, if they have massive skin issues, they end up getting skin removal surgery. I'm not at that point. I'm fine with my skin. My stomach is a little like saggy kind of skin that you can notice. But you know what? I was like, do I want skin to be a little saggy or do I want to be overweight for the rest of my life? I was fine with the saggy skin. So yeah, it definitely is there, but it's not that visible. But if you're asking me if I was going to wear a bikini, I'd probably wear like a high-waisted bikini, to be honest. That's just my choice. Um, Because like actually... When I lost the weight, interestingly, the first place I lost weight, everyone says it's your booze. For me, it was my shoulders. So I became narrow. When you look at me, I was narrower. But if I was on the side, I still looked like the same weight. But if you saw me front on, I looked narrower. I lost a lot of weight off the side of me, which was really weird. It was my shoulders first where I was like, I look smaller in that way. And then your stomach is like the last place that you use it. So I've got like a little fatty pouch there that I'm only going to be able to lose now by working out and like really going hardcore with healthy eating because I've lost all the excess weight. It's just like that other extra parts. Um, So yeah, saggy skin, you guys are asking about how long before I went back to the office. I had a week off where I did nothing but like sit in a hospital or I was at home for a couple of those days and I was just like in hell. The second week I was also very miserable, but I was working a little bit. Um, But most people just have one week off. I, of course, had a bad reaction. So it's a little bit different. Everybody's body is very different, but I would try and plan just in case you need to have two weeks off, especially if you have a job where you are um, physical, like you're on your feet a lot and that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. Like I just... I eat fairly normal. Like if you saw me out, you probably wouldn't even notice. And that seems to be the thing a lot of people are asking, like how do you eat, how do you eat, all that kind of stuff. And I think that the sleeve and the band are very different to gastric bypass in like the amounts you can eat. And I've been surprised by how much sometimes I can eat. And then other days it's less and I can barely eat anything at all. So it really just depends. But for me, this was the right choice that I made for myself and it's been great. It's been very hard, but the reward has been worth it. Like the feeling of being able to walk into Sahara and just try on anything in the store, that has meant more to me than like that I can't binge eat a whole block of Black Forest, you know, Cadbury chocolate. That's more important to me. That cheeseburger from McDonald's, yeah, I probably won't have one of them very often, but you know what? I've got a pair of Subies on and that's the main thing to me. So, you know, and also that fatty liver, I'm getting that under control. I'm not going to die of a heart attack. I'm not going to have cholesterol issues. I'm not going to um, have diabetes, all of that kind of stuff. It's so important. And like that was definitely like on my radar, but given that I'm so young, it probably wasn't as prevalent for some people who get it when they're older. And it's like, you know, you have a lot of health issues associated with being so obese. Um, and so for me, it was more about like the appearance, which I'm sure is like a real vanity thing. And that's not great. I'm sure for like what I preach, you know, but that's where I was at that time. And now I guess it's easy for me to say like, oh, love yourself because now I've changed myself dramatically. It's ha- I'm happy with myself now. But I did have to go through that. What I, 
I, I do wonder if I'd gotten the cancer when I was 109 kilos, which I would never have found, by the way, because I would have been too fat to fill the lump. But if I had gotten it, would I still be happy with myself now because I have done so much personal growth? And I guess I'll never know. But yeah, my confidence levels have definitely changed with this. And it's just like, there's just this this thing that was always this cloud in the back of your mind where every time you eat, you feel guilty. And then because you feel guilty, you eat some more to make you feel better. And it's like, you just always feeling like shit, I guess. And so now it's like that I'm thinner and yes, I still have to be considerate of what I'm eating, like even more so obviously, but it's like I don't feel that guilt when I'm eating because I'm just leaning towards making better choices. I barely get any, I think I've had KFC maybe two or three times since the surgery ended. Um, no, hang on, it's been about a year. So I probably say I've had KFC maybe four or five times, much less. I'm basically just have the chicken now. Um, and I've had McDonald's twice, I think, since the surgery. So it's for me, I would have had those minimum once a week. So that's a big change. And now it's like I just had the chicken nuggets at McDonald's. That's all I had because it was like I was starving. I was out and about. I needed something fast and I got that protein hit. So it wasn't even like I was getting like the burger. I would only ever eat cheeseburgers before and now I don't have that. You know, So even when I am ordering these diet, these not, not diet, these junk foods, I'm eating them in a very different way than I used to. And I'm not drinking soft drink with it either. So that's a whole other thing. But yeah, so that's basically what it's about. It's only a tool. People can game it and like still gain the weight back. You know, as I said, like you can eat a small amount of French fries consistently throughout the day and you can still gain weight. So if you don't use it as a tool, then it's not going to work for you and it won't work long term. Also, it's a big impact on your mental health. So you really have to be careful when you go into this, that you go into it in the right frame of mind. So yeah, it was the right decision for me. It's not the right decision for everyone, but it's something that I'll have to live with forever because it's going to affect the way that I consume food and my relationship with food moving forward. And so it's just not as easy for me as everybody else with the food choices, but I was willing to make that sacrifice to you know, feel healthier, be healthier, look healthier. And that's what the priority was for me. And it's also like my energy levels. I don't feel like I've got necessarily more energy, but I don't lose my energy as fast. Whereas like, I feel like the same when I wake up in the morning, my energy levels feel the same. But if I was to like go for a walk and go shopping around Pacific Fair, 10 minutes for me was like, oh, I'm puffed. I'm over it. Whereas now it's like, I can go all day. You know, it's like before I'd always try and look for the closest park. So I had to do less walking because it's like a chafing and like I'm tired and I'm lazy. Whereas now I'm like, eh, whatever car park, I'll walk. I just totally, it just totally changes those sides of things too. And now I'm like, I want to go for walks on the beach. I want to go for like a bit of a hike. I'm going away for my birthday. So I might want to go for like a bit of a hike in the mountains, not like up a mountain, just like a bit of a yeah, like let's not take too carried away, guys, please. Um, but I would never have fucking even thought about that before. So yeah, that's basically that. I hope I've addressed all of your questions. I might actually do like an Insta story thing at the end of the week, maybe that you can ask me more stuff if I didn't cover it and we can go into it there. Um, but just ending with my segments, the attitude of gratitude this week. I actually didn't write anything down because I was like, oh, I'm going to thank them for being so supportive. But I kind of said that at the start of the podcast. So let's think about what else. Oh, you know, you know, I'm grateful for today, the bloody weather. 
It is overcast and rainy, and that makes me so happy. I know it makes some people miserable, but I love snuggly weather. And sometimes you just have to be grateful for the really little things. And I'm actually someone who really does get grateful for the tiny things, like flowers in my house. I bloody love flowers at my house. That makes me so happy. A song that I like coming on the radio, the weather, little things. I really am. I am one of those people that's like stops and smells the roses. Um, It's the big things that I sometimes forget to focus on. So that's what I'm, fo- I'm happy for today, the weather. Bloody love it. I am also just want to say I'm grateful that the way Queensland has ha- handled COVID and I'm just heartbroken for the people who are in Melbourne at the moment having to go back into stage two, sorry, back into um, having a relapse, whatever, whatever you're calling it, going back into this stage of having to isolate again for another six weeks. You know, like shout out to those people if you're listening to this podcast, you know, must be a horrible thing, but you're doing the right thing for the state. You're doing the right thing for the rest of the country to keep us all safe. And so we really appreciate you staying home and isolating and just, you know, do what makes you happy if you can. I know it must be a really, it's a really hard mental game being isolated and some of us are better at it than others. So just try and recognize what your emotions are at that time and what you can do to you know, feel better and minimize triggers. Early on in COVID, I realized that the more news I consumed, the more it would impact my mental health. So I stopped consuming the news. So it's about like sort of looking at those triggers. That's easier said than done, but that's just my two cents. Um, And then this week's thought of the week. So here is my quote. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Albert Einstein. And now, obviously, that was the merry-go-round that I was on, and I finally realized it's crazy to think that I'm ever going to get this diet thing nailed, so I need to make a different change, and that's what I ended up doing. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. This is um, another episode, and I'll be back with another one next Tuesday, as always. But in the meantime, you can keep up with me over on Instagram, at Courtney Mangan, and at She Was The Fire. If you haven't already, you know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It would be extremely helpful and I would really appreciate it. Bye.